Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. First, on every single tier, you get completely ad-free episodes. And you get a say in what topics I cover on my podcasts. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Or you can go to buymeacupofcoffee slash Craig U. All of these links are also in my show notes. And for people who donate, I have various levels of benefits. For $5, you get a thank you at the start of the next episode of Canadian History X, Canada's Great War, and from John to Justin, and on social media. For $10, you get everything from the $5, plus this episode is sponsored by, with your name at the start. Also, I'll state it's sponsored by you on social media. For $20, everything from the $5 and $10, plus a second episode sponsored by you, and promotion of something you're working on. And for $50, everything from the $5, $10, and $20 plus, you get to choose a topic for me to cover on Canadian History X. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok where I put up daily videos about Canada's history. Just go to my username, Bairdo37. And you can find weekly videos on Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash CanadianHistoryX. If you want to find transcripts of every episode I've ever done, you can go to my website, CanadaEHX.com. And there's over 700 posts on Canada's history there. I also want to say thank you and welcome to my newest patron, Sarah White. Thanks, Sarah. Now, before I start, I want to talk about... The Local History Atlas. This was created by one of my listeners, Ben Woodward, and it's fantastic. It's this wonderful website where you can see a, a Google Maps image of Canada, and you can visit all of the places in Canada, and within these places are my local history podcast episodes that you can listen to, and one of the great things about it is you can add to it. You can put your own pictures in. You can put your own information. It's creating this wonderful historical mosaic of Canada and it's a wonderful website uh, I have the link in my show notes but if you also want to visit yourself it's atlas.digitalhistory.ca and we can create this wonderful mosaic of Canada's history all of us you can learn about Canada's history if you're going on a road trip you can use this wonderful site to see where you're going and the amazing things that you can see so be sure to check it out After Vincent Massey made history as the first Canadian-born Governor-General of Canada, it was up to his replacement, Georges Vanier, to make history as well. For Vanier, not only was he Canadian-born, but he would become the first Francophone Governor-General in Canadian history. Born in Montreal on April 23, 1888 to Phileas and Margaret Vanier, his family had actually settled in Quebec around 1670. Years later, the Ottawa Journal would write, quote, He liked to boast that his paternal ancestry traced back almost to the beginning of New France. The name Vanier appeared in the first census of New France in 1666. End quote. Within the home, his father would raise him to be bilingual, and as a child, his family was reasonably well off, with his father owning a successful business, and he was one of the first people in Montreal to own a car although he never really learned to drive. Instead, he had a chauffeur to do that. The family also had two cottages that they would spend time at throughout the year. 
Vanier would attend Loyola College, now known as Concordia University, graduating in 1906 with a Bachelor of Arts. A devout Catholic his entire life, he would begin a lifelong habit of having daily communion while attending the school. And as a child, he was considered to be exceptional, and he also excelled at both boxing and hockey. He would say later that his happiest moment at La Loya was when he scored the winning goal for his team with one minute left in the game. As a student, he was often reserved, and he would be criticized by his teachers for his reserved nature. Vanier would respond, quote, Intimate feelings of joy, sadness, desires aren't something to write about. They can be spoken about, and in fact are more often understood with gestures, looks, and tones of voice. End quote. After graduating, which he did at the top of his class, he would attend Laval University, where he obtained his law degree in 1911. That same year, he was called to the Quebec Bar. And despite his law degree, Vanier gave serious consideration to becoming a priest, but the First World War would come along and upend the entire path of his life. Vanier felt that it was his duty to serve for Canada in the First World War, and in 1914 he would enlist and play a large role in organizing the 1st Battalion of French Canadians, now known as the Vandus. Vanier also felt that France was the center of Western civilization, and he felt compelled to assist the country to defeat Germany. He would write his sister, quote, I cannot read the harrowing account of Belgian sufferings without feeling a deep compassion and an active desire to fight, as so far as it is within my power, the heinous wrong done to Belgium. End quote. On February 15, 1915, Vanier passed the officer's exam and was commissioned as a lieutenant. On May 20, 1915, he boarded a ship in Halifax and was sent across the Atlantic to train. And while at the East Sandling camp, he and his fellow troops would be visited by Sir Robert Borden, the Prime Minister, and Sir Sam Hughes, the Minister of Militia. On September 13th, he arrived at the front lines and would lead a trench raid on January 2nd, 1916. The raid was successful, with Vanier and his men taking out a German machine gun post and making it back safely to Canadian lines. During his time in France, he would often write home expressing his love for the country. He would write his sister after a visit to Paris, stating, quote, Ah, the sheer joy of it, to visit Paris on leave from the trenches, where we are all trying to do our bit for the triumph of civilization. End quote. Vanier saw the war as a holy war, and the Canadian soldiers as knights. The idea of the knightly ideal of a man who had to be courageous and honorable in upholding what is right would be a defining trait for Vanier through his entire life. The first time Vanier appears in the newspaper was on June 21, 1916, in the Montreal Gazette. It states, quote, Captain Georges Vanier is a young Montreal advocate who early responded to the call of war and saw eight months in the trenches before he was wounded a few days ago. End quote. Throughout the First World War, he would serve with distinction, including in major battles such as the Battle of the St. Eloy Craters and Vimy Ridge. After Vimy Ridge, he would write to his mother and say, quote, You know, of course, that things are going with a tremendous swing and that we are pushing the Germans. The morale of the troops is magnificent. We cannot lose. What is more, we are winning quickly and the war will be over within six months. End quote. You'd be a little bit off on that mark. During the 100 Days campaign, Vanier would be involved in a battle that would cost him his right leg due to a German shell exploding near him. He was also shot in the chest and both legs. 
His recovery would be lengthy, but he would not leave France. And so while his time in the trenches was over, he refused to return to Canada. He would write from a hospital, quote, I simply cannot go back to Canada while my comrades are still in the trenches in France, end quote. During the First World War, he was awarded the Military Cross with Bar and the Distinguished Service Order. The Military Cross was presented to him personally by the King at Windsor Castle, and he would also be appointed as a Knight of the French Legion of Honour. After recovering, Vanier needed to find his new path in life, and rather than becoming a priest or a lawyer, he would find himself on the path to becoming a diplomat. In 1921, he began to work as the aide-de-camp of the Governor-General Julian Bing. This was an important year for Vanier as well, as he also married Pauline Archer. Together, the couple would go on to have five children, including Jean Vanier, who would found a charity to help people with developmental disabilities. Vanier would remain as the aide-de-camp for Bing for four years, and the two men would become very close, and Vanier would side with Bing during the heated King-Bing affair, I talked about in earlier episodes. Vanier would then serve briefly as the commander of the Vandus before becoming the aide-de-camp for the next governor-general, the Marquis of Willingdon. And while his diplomatic career was taking off, Vanier was named to the Canadian military designation for disarmament to the League of Nations. In 1931, he was posted to the Canadian High Commission in London, where he would remain until 1938. It was there he would meet Vincent Massey, his predecessor as Governor-General. And like everyone else, Vanier found Massey to be a snob. In 1935, when his friend Bing died, he would write a tribute to him that appeared in the London Times. And in 1939, Vanier was appointed as a Canadian minister to France, sending him to the country as war was on the horizon. On August 26, 1939, he sent a dispatch to Ottawa stating that war was inevitable. Five days later, the Second World War erupted. On May 10, 1940, the Nazis invaded France and Vanier was advised to burn secret documents relating to Canada and get ready to flee the city and the country. As he left office, he found thousands of people, many of them Jewish refugees, begging to be allowed to come to Canada. On May 24th, Vanier wrote to Mackenzie King stating that Canada had a wonderful opportunity to accept refugees and provide them asylum. The next day, the King government stated that it would accept 10,000 refugee children, but only if they were British, French, Belgian, or Dutch. Jewish children were mostly left off the list by the King government. On June 10th, Vanier's last act in Paris was to hand over papers to the American ambassador to France, giving him legal power to represent Canada in occupied France. Leaving Paris, a typically three-hour drive, took 17 hours as the roads were full of refugees. On June 17th, Vanier and his family boarded a boat that took them to Britain. And while getting his family out of the country, Vanier also arranged the evacuation of Canadian citizens and other refugees to England. Back in Canada, Vanier met with Prime Minister King, who wrote in his diary, quote, Found him looking much older. Felt a certain sorrow which he seemed to be carrying. I took him to Moorside to see the trees and the ruins. While there, there was a bit of glorious outburst of sun which lit up the trees, and later brought a rainbow into the distant eastern skies. End quote. Soon after reaching Canada, Vanier would urge the Canadian government to accept Jewish refugees from Europe. 
In late 1940, he wrote to Prime Minister William Lyme Mackenzie King, stating, quote, Canada has a wonderful opportunity to be generous and yet profit by accepting some of these people, end quote. The Canadian government, though, was not in favour of this, and actually very few Jewish refugees would ever get into Canada during the war. I've asked that some milk be brought to you. Human, do you think we'll get an answer today? I'm doing everything in my power. Mrs. Vanier, your husband would like to see you. Our borders will remain closed. But this is madness. The government doesn't understand the seriousness of the situation. All those people waiting, we are their only hope. We have to help them now. Their life is in danger. But then you won't be able to change Canada's immigration policy all alone. Mr. Kramer, your visa. This time you've got it. You remember me? Of course. Your mother was holding a baby. My sister, Anne. And your mother? Governor-General Georges Vanier and his wife Pauline were strongly committed to the welfare of refugees and throughout their lives continued their tireless efforts on behalf of humanitarian causes. In 1942, Vanier was given the rank of Major General and then sent to London as the Canadian Minister to all the Allied governments in exile. During one speech, he would say, quote, If we think that after the war we will be able to go on living in our old comfortable way, we are wrong. There is going to be a new order of things through evolution, if we are wise, but through revolution otherwise. End quote. At a London airport waited Major General George P. Vanier, Canadian High Commissioner to the Allied Governments, Air Marshal Baldwin, Major General the Honorable P.J. Montague, and Lieutenant S.P. Ralston. They were waiting for the plane bringing the Minister of National Defense, Colonel the Honorable J.O. Ralston, on another of his flying visits to the Canadian Army in England. He was greeted by the official party, including the Right Honorable Vincent Massey and Lieutenant General Kenneth Stewart, CGS. After which, he inspected a guard of honor drawn from the RAF Regiment. Accompanied by Major General C.R.S. Steen, the minister inspected a guard of honor from the Lorne Scots as he began his visit to Canada's armored formations. At the 11th Canadian Infantry Brigade, he was greeted by Brigadier H. Sharp and found three units drawn up for his inspection. They were the Perth Regiment, the Cape Breton Highlanders, and the Irish Regiment of Canada. finish up, he had a typically informal chat with the whole brigade. At 5th Division Headquarters, he inspected a guard of honor from the 3rd Reconnaissance Regiment and met officers of the divisional staff. With Brigadier R.O.G. Morton, he saw a great concentration of artillery, including the 8th, the 17th Field Regiments, and the 4th Anti-Tank Regiment, and the 5th Light Anti-Aircraft Regiment, Royal Canadian Artillery. The minister went mobile when he visited the 5th Armoured Brigade and saw some of the punch packed by a Canadian Armoured Division. His inspection included the 2nd, 5th and 9th Armoured Regiments and the Westminster Motor Regiment. Major General F.F. Worthington met the minister when he visited the 4th Armoured Division and saw the newly arrived Algonquin Regiment at work. 
and talk to anti-aircraft crews at cleverly camouflaged gun sites. Divisional gunners staged a demonstration shoot, manhandling their guns into position over difficult ground. In 1944, he took two trips to Italy to visit with the Vandus, and he would meet with Pope Pius XII in Rome. That same year, he became the ambassador to France, the first ambassador to the country after he was liberated from the Germans. One of his first acts was to go to Dieppe to pay his respects to the Canadian soldiers buried there. He and his wife would break down in tears as the last post was played as they put flowers on the graves of the soldiers. Major General, the Honorable G.P. Vanier, newly appointed Canadian minister to the Allied governments, inspected French-Canadian units. He began his tour with the Royal 22nd, his former unit, the fighting Van Dues of last war fame. Later, with Lieutenant General McNaughton, he visited the 3rd Battalion Royal Canadian Engineers, a completely French-Canadian unit. The sappers marched past with real verve and style, showing a parade ground smartness quite on a par with their technical skill. There were many demonstrations. A bomb disposal squad showed its technique in one of the most dangerous and treacherous tasks that falls to the lot of the engineers. After the inspection, the battalion gathered around while General Vanier addressed them informally. The unit comes not only from the province of Quebec, but from all parts of Canada, an example of French Canada's unity and determination to see the war to a speedy end. When the FMR marched past, General Vanier saw before him battle-scarred veterans of Dieppe, hard, young veterans whose one ambition is to get back to France and finish the job. Throughout the war, he and his wife would continue to sell refugees, especially Jewish refugees. He would say at one point, quote, Today, millions have been stripped, wounded, and left for dead on the blood-stained roads of Europe. Is not each one of these our brother or our sister? End quote. In April 1945, Vanier toured a concentration camp only one week after it was liberated. He would tell CBC Radio, quote, How deaf we were then to cruelty and the cries of pain which came to our ears, grim forerunners of the mass torture and murders which were to follow. End quote. In Paris, he and his wife would continue to help refugees by getting them food and temporary shelter. And thanks to their insistence, the Canadian government would eventually change its regulations, and 186,000 European refugees would come to Canada between 1947 and 1953. In 1953, Vanier retired from being a diplomat and started to work as a director in various companies, including the Bank of Montreal. And then in 1959, Prime Minister John Diefenbaker appointed Vanier as the first French Governor-General of Canada. On September 15th of that year, Vanier took office. He would say, quote, My first words are a prayer. May Almighty God give peace to this beloved land of ours and the grace of mutual understanding, respect, and love. If Canada is to attain the greatness worthy of it, each of us must say, I ask only to serve. End quote. As Governor-General, Vanier would turn an upstairs bedroom at Rideau Hall into a chapel, where he would pray twice a day. He also installed bilingual signs at the main gates of the hall. And even though he was over 70, he was known for his stamina as Governor-General. He would be up at 8.30am and he would work straight until 6pm, taking only a half hour for rest after lunch. 
He often spent his time reading, and his personal library had over 2,000 volumes. And he especially liked watching hockey, and even though he had lost his right leg, he still played tennis. And while he was deeply religious and devoted to his Catholic faith, Vanier respected other religious views. He would write, quote, When duty or circumstance call for my presence as Governor General at a service of any other faith, you may rest assured that I shall be happy to attend and shall do so with entire freedom, end quote. And while Vincent Massey served during a time of stability in the Canadian government, Vanier would serve during a chaotic time. He would deal with minority governments and the rise of Quebec separatism and the Quiet Revolution, as well as sharp divides in the government over several issues. As a Francophone governor-general, separatists would call Vanier a sellout and say he was the Queen's jester. Vanier, for his part, would state, quote, The road of unity is the road of love. Love of one's country and faith and its future will give new direction and purpose to our lives, lift us up above our domestic quarrels, and unite us in dedication to the common good. We cannot run the risk of this great country falling to pieces. End quote. On another occasion, he would state that Canada's problem could be solved through marriage. He would say, quote, It may sound absurd, but the answer is for all Canadians to intermarry. Our only real problem is one of language, and that could be settled. End quote. As Governor General, Vanier was now serving his third generation of the House of Windsor, having served King George VI and King George V in various capacities. And he would refer to Queen Elizabeth II as our little queen, and he was incredibly loyal to the monarchy. As Governor-General, Vanier would be involved in several important moments in Canadian history, including opening the St. Lawrence Seaway in 1959, and in 1965 he would officially inaugurate the new Canadian flag. The Blackfoot would honour him by giving him the name of Chief Big Scout, and he would take a special interest in the Boy Scouts. 3,000 Boy Scouts invade Ottawa as they parade at their encampment at Connaught Rifle Ranges for the 3rd Canadian Jamboree. Former Commissioner L.A. Nicholson of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police reviews the Scouts as they brave a drenching rain to march past the salute base. Governor General Vanier, as Chief Scout, makes a tour of the campsite. The boys come from sea to sea, including 100 from the United States and leaders from Greece, Australia and Pakistan. The Governor General addresses the Scouts, officially opening the 10-day jamboree. During this period, the growing lads will consume 11,200 loaves of bread, more than 9,000 gallons of milk and 4 tons of potatoes. Dr. Nestor C. Constantoulis of Greece, organizer of the 11th World Jamboree, invites the youths to his country for that event in 1963. As Governor General, he would host President John F. Kennedy and his wife Jackie, the Emperor of Ethiopia, the Shah of Iran, the Prime Minister of Israel, and his old friend Charles de Gaulle. In his first visit to a foreign nation since assuming the presidency, Mr. Kennedy arrives in Ottawa on a visit of state. He is greeted at the airport by Governor General George P. Vanier and the Prime Minister John Diefenbaker. Mr. Kennedy is taking his first step in personal international diplomacy with this visit, which precedes his visit to France next month and a tentative meeting with Khrushchev in Vienna.
has a busy two-day schedule and first goes to Government House, where he will stay. And there he attends a state dinner. While it's a highly formal occasion, it gives the President the opportunity to become further acquainted with Canadian leaders before other international discussions. His wife Pauline would also make headlines, even being named Woman of the Year by the Canadian media in 1965. That same year, she was also named the first woman chancellor of the University of Ottawa. The Ottawa Journal would state of the couple, quote, He likes people, and he likes entertaining, as does his wife. He has a talent for putting others at ease, end quote. Vanier would also create the Vanier Cup for the University Football Championship. In 1963, Vanier would suffer from a heart attack that left him confined to bed for about six weeks as he recovered. And on January 1st, 1964, he was made a full general in the Canadian Army, only the sixth person to ever achieve that rank in Canadian history. By 1965, despite being 77, Vanier continued to travel throughout the country to see as many Canadians as possible. By this point, he had logged 105,000 kilometers around the country and given 400 speeches to organizations in Canada. The Windsor Star wrote, quote, There has been no indication when he will step down from his third major career. Prime Minister Lester Pearson announced last summer that the tall, white-haired soldier diplomat will remain in office at least a year beyond the normal five-year term, end quote. In 1967, as the Canadian centennial was beginning, Vanier's health began to decline to the point that when he addressed students at the University of Montreal, he had to do so from a wheelchair. And despite the fact that he knew he was probably dying, he would still hold the annual skating and tobogganing party at Rideau Hall. One journalist would say, quote, There was no reason for him to go through with the party. As an event, it wasn't important. End quote. As it turned out, this would be his last public appearance. Choosing to continue on during Canada's centennial year, he would say, quote, If I don't make it, then they'll just have to find somebody else. End quote. His health continued to decline, and he would state to Prime Minister Lester Pearson on March 3rd that he wanted to give up the post. Pearson then suggested he spend the year at the vice-regal summer residence resting, to which Vanier only smiled. He then told Pearson that his health was not likely to enable him to carry on in office. On March 5, 1967, Vanier died from heart failure while watching a Montreal Canadiens game on television. He had just spoken with Prime Minister Lester Pearson, and he told him that he would be willing to stay on as Governor-General until the end of the centennial year. He became the second Governor-General to die in office after John Buchan. Opposition leader John Diefenbaker would say, quote, A fine Christian gentleman has answered the last roll call. The memory of his life of service will be cherished for generations to come. His life was one of devoted service to his sovereign and his country. End quote. Prime Minister Lester Pearson would say, quote, We mourn today deeply and sincerely the loss of our Governor General. In its 100 years, Canada has had no more devoted and courageous a servant than General George Vanier. His whole life is the shining record of that service. He never failed any test of duty in peace or war. He was indeed the good and faithful servant. End quote. President Lyndon Johnson would say, quote, He was a wise and humane citizen of the world. He does also belong to the world and is not lost to it. It is indeed a sad day. End quote. His friend Charles de Gaulle, President of France, stated, quote, Vanier was a companion and a friend of mine. 
His death saddens me profoundly. My wife joins me in extending our deepest sympathy at this time. End quote. The Sioux Star wrote, quote, The morning today is real and deep. The memory that long will linger is bound to remind many a Canadian to ask only to serve, and to humbly be able to do so, so one-tenth as unswervingly as he did. End quote. After his death, 15,000 messages of sympathy were sent to the Rideau Hall. A state funeral was also held for him on March 8th. Many schools and provinces, such as Alberta, were closed for the day to pay tribute to Vanier. And many Canadian Catholics felt that Vanier should be a candidate for sainthood, along with his wife Pauline. In 1990, Ottawa Archbishop Marcel Gervais named a five-member committee to prepare the case to declare Vanier and his wife Catholic saints. In 1998, Vanier was named the most important Canadian in history by Maclean's magazine. Several buildings, roads, and parks are named for him as well. The former city of Vanier was also named for him, and a total of 34 schools in Canada and one in Germany are also named for him. And I will finish this episode with what Maclean said of him in 1998. Quote, He spoke to rich and poor in the same way. He made countless well-crafted speeches in perfect French and equally perfect English, and everywhere he talked of the joys and duties of being Canadian. There were few governors general like him, and Canadians across the country loved him. End quote. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Georges Vanier. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. And I also want to thank all of my wonderful patrons. And I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Sarah White, Tom McMillan, Mike Sullivan, Wendy Mills, Keelan Pringnitz, Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobbs, Robert Page, Richard T., Colin Johnson, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nixon Ree, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Governors General of Canada, Library and Archives Canada, Wikipedia, Montreal Gazette, Maclean's, North Bay Nugget, Vancouver Sun, Windsor Star, Calgary Herald, The Sioux Star, and The Ottawa Journal. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.